acceptance, a more political correctness, a more inclusiveness by changing the BC and the AD abbreviations to BCE and CE, which means before the common era and now what we're in now called the common era, which is kind of an irony to me because it doesn't change the impact of Jesus' birth by changing any of the actual dates. But it just simply seeks to take God out of it and make sure that us self-centered human beings get left behind. <laughs> While there's been an argument for you know, a long time about the exact year and date of Jesus' birth, there's a general agreement about the range of where it happened, there's no solid argument, although many have tried, to prove that Jesus Christ never lived, never was crucified, and never rose from the dead. I don't know if you knew this, but there's actually more tangible documentary historical evidence for the evidence of Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection than there is to even affirm the historical existence of Julius Caesar. I don't know if you knew it, but... (laughs) There are about 15,000 documents on Jesus' scorecard, and there's about 612 on Julius Caesar's side. We take him for granted, don't we, Julius Caesar? With his little olive thing around his head, right? (laughs) So the argument against Jesus is really not, was he actually born and how did he die? The real stumbling block people have and have always had throughout history has been who Jesus himself claimed to be. And the people who were caught up in the movement that he began claim him to be. So who is Jesus? That is the question that every single human being on this planet must answer at some point in their lives. So who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis put it, is he a liar? A lunatic, or is he Lord? He's either pulled the greatest con job in the history of the world. He's either so touched and deranged that he thinks he's this and that. Or he actually is who he says he is. The Lord and the Savior of all. Christmas is a time that we celebrate the answers to this question. The the season of Advent that begins today, actually. It's the four Sundays that happen before Christmas Day, if you're ever wondering how you figure that out. It helps remind us of the the tangible emotions that we feel regarding our Savior Jesus Christ. Coming into the world, as Norm already said, is Emmanuel, God with us. But it also reminds us that these aren't just emotions. They're not just states of mind, hope, joy, peace, and love we're reminded that all four of these things are actually personified. They're actually the identity of. They're actually ultimately found and sourced in a person. The very real person of Jesus Christ. He is hope. He is joy. He is peace. He is love. And today our focus is on joy. Some of you who follow Advent calendars, you're going, oh, but Aaron, it's hope today. You forgot. Hmm. No, I didn't. When Dave Perry and I were wrestling over this, 
he wanted to do hope, so I said, well, you can only preach next week, so I need to do joy this week. So there we go. <laughs> Simple as that. This Advent wreath that, that's here, um, there's nothing spiritual about it. There's no, nothing special particularly about these candles. They haven't been previously blessed or anything like that. Um, this is a tangible way I don't know about you, but sometimes when I feel like I can't see Jesus, when I can't touch him, it's sometimes things like this that actually help us to connect with who God is. And so this morning, I want to light one of these candles. So we've got hope, joy, peace, and love, as you see up there. And the one in the middle that you don't see in the picture there is the Christ candle, Jesus the one in whom all things hold together and have their being. That one we get to light on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. So this morning, I'm going to light the candle of hope. Oh, sorry, you're right. Got to twitch that around in my head so I don't... Okay, joy, that's what's in my notes. That's what's in my notes. And... If for some reason this goes out, it doesn't mean joy has left the building, all right? Now, sometimes I hear this little, and I look and I go, oh, candle went out, <laughs> right? So don't, don't overthink. It's just a way for us to connect it's, uh, with our senses and with our being to what God is doing amidst us, in the midst of us. Uh, I also want to mention there are... Uh, this morning, your kids, your families, you'll be getting little Advent packages uh, that actually help you. You know how the kids have those little chocolate calendars that they can do things with? Well, this is uh, a paper format that goes through day by day things that you can actually do with your kids, with your family, to actually help prepare them uh, as we celebrate Christmas. And family, I know there's some adults here that like to do that too. And if that's you, there's a couple of packages over at the back table that you can pick up on the way back out. But let's come back to our scripture passage. So the angels announced to the shepherd that a savior had been born. Joy! The Messiah who had been prophetically promised over hundreds of years to the Jewish people had been born in the city of David, in Bethlehem. Not only that, amidst the shepherd's great fear in seeing this heavenly host announcing this coming savior, the angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid, you're not going to die tonight, boys. Right? Because that's what they were worried about. We're here to proclaim the good news of great joy that's not just for you, but it's for the people of Israel. It's for everyone. The news is for everybody. In fact, we're announcing it to you guys first. The ultra-ordinary. The people that nobody in your society thinks are that important or going to amount to anything. Your smelly, stinky, dirty shepherds uneducated guys that are on the edge of society that nobody really thinks about. We're appearing to you because we want to make sure that people know that the Savior has been born and is for everyone. Angel tells them that they can find this Messiah in the humblest of locations, lying in an animal's feeding trough in a manger wrapped in strips of cloth, a mighty, powerful package wrapped in the simplest, most vulnerable, and poorest of ways. And after this host of angels disappears back into heaven, they 
they all agree, these shepherds, to go to Bethlehem where they discover the baby, just like the angel had said. And they fall down before this child and his parents and they worship at the feet of this new king. Joy! They pour into the street with joy, proclaiming to everyone who would listen to them the glorious things that they had just encountered. It's a remarkable portion of the Christmas story. But I wonder how we're impacted by it today, 2,000 plus years later. Why was this such a joyous occasion? Well, has anybody promised you, anybody ever promised you an amazing gift? You know, especially as young children, especially as there's the anticipation of Christmas, right? There's that feeling of longing and anticipation and that vibration and agony of, of waiting for that day when that promised gift will finally appear. Maybe you have kids like that. Uh, For some of us, uh, maybe God promised you something a long time ago, and you've gone through the ups and downs of waiting, seasons where you remember and hope, and ones where you feel like you actually almost forget because it's been such a long wait. Well, I think the Jewish people were in one of those forgetful phases but they were on the verge of being woken back up by God to share what he had promised. I think anybody that I know of in in history, the Jewish people had a decent reason for their forgetfulness. 400 years had passed since God had spoken through the prophet Malachi. That was the last time that God had definitively spoken to Israel. So you can understand how after 400 years... (laughs) People might not be thinking about a savior coming in their daily lives while they were doing their regular daily things. But this time, God not only spoke, not only spoke using his angels as messengers, he actually did something that had never been done in human history, time, or space before. He sent himself. He sent his son into the world as a human child that theologians call the incarnation, God in the flesh, in order to save people from their sin. I want to focus right here for a bit because this is a stumbling block for people. Not only do people have a problem with acknowledging who Jesus is, they also have an issue with anybody suggesting that they might not be as good a person as they think they are, and that they're desperately in need of a savior. Yeah, I totally get it. (laughs) People take issue. You mean, though I'm a a good person, I'm kind, I'm loving, uh, I save injured animals, I raise money for orphanages, I visit the elderly at the hospice a couple blocks over, I'm raising ten foster children all by myself in my home at the same time. Um... And I still find time to bake cookies for the neighborhood kids, right? Right? You're telling me that with all those things, that without receiving Jesus as my Savior and Lord, I will spend eternity in hell and not heaven. You're saying that I'm a sinful person. That's a tough pill to swallow. Well, I'm not saying it. Jesus and the Bible say it. I'm simply another messenger today with the news. We all have a decision to make about what's been said. 
there's a difference between being a bad person and a sinful person. It's easy to look at a person for the bad things that they've done and go, yep, it's toasty and warm where they're going. Right? You do because we have this sense that somehow that's fair and that's just. But we really have a tough time with the thought that good people can be sent to that same awful place. But that's why we need to understand that the problem is actually much deeper. It's not about good or bad. It's actually about the holiness of God and our sinful condition. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning, none of us can attain holiness or get to God on our own. Since the very fall of humanity in the garden, when the first humans went their own way and they ate the fruit that God told them not to, a curse, the curse of death, fell on humanity as sin entered the world. The holiness of God and the sinfulness that entered the world were mutually incompatible. The two things couldn't be in the same place at the same time. It's like the, the polar ends of a magnet. They, just, they, they can't be in the same place. And the relationship God had with his created ones was broken. It was, well, a fracture occurred in the family. Sinfulness isn't a con- just a condition it's, or is a condition. It's not just an action. It's an incurable disease that will inevitably run its course and bring death to those that are infected by it. And we each need the cure. And the cure is Jesus. Joy. Don't forget the other half of the good news. Even though we were, are broken and sinful, God made a way for us to be restored and forgiven. That's one of the miracles that we were singing about today. Jesus can either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone to greater freedom and life. He's actually the cornerstone. This was and this is the joyous reason for Jesus being sent and coming to earth. This is the reason we actually have real joy true, authentic joy, and can really celebrate. And we sing about it in other lines of worship songs, like praise the king. You know, there's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light, right? There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive, right? Because he lives, so can we. Joy! No, I don't have spiritual Tourette's this morning. If you're wondering why I keep saying joy, I'm doing it for a reason. You see, I think at Christmas there are so many traditions, so many cultural practices, um, secular pressures, and, and other things that are vying for our attention that we forget the simple truth of why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the coming of the King, the Savior. The one who saved his people from their sins and has victory 
over the curse of sin and death. That is why we celebrate. And because of his mission being successfully accomplished, the relationship that was broken between us and God, it's been restored. The consequence of sin has been dealt with, and anyone who receives the free gift of salvation and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ can have new life and freedom from death itself. Wow. The unholy made holy through Jesus. No more guilt and shame. Joy. The sinful forgiven and restored. Joy. The dead raised to new life and born again of the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. Joy. I don't know about you, but I, I think that's a legitimate reason for us to be the happiest and most joyful people on the face of the earth. This was the message that the shepherds brought to those shepherds on that starry night. Do you know what's a really hard thing to do in our culture and around the world? Surprise and impress people. You might have an amazing singing voice. Uh, you know, but between The Voice and America's Got Talent and American Idol and all the franchises around the globe, people now they just say, yeah, meh. You know, I heard it before. Right? There's at least 20 other people I'd listened to before I listened to you, you know. Uh, or we used to reserve honors for Olympians. Uh, but it, now the same kinds of things are bestowed on these people who participate in things like American Ninja Warrior and the X Games and the CrossFit endurance stuff. You know, the bunny hops that you used to do on your mountain bike on the street just that wowed your friends. That just doesn't cut it anymore. It's just, meh, meh, you know. <laughs> the plot lines of movies and, and TV shows and graphic portrayals of violence and other things that would have given people 40 years ago a heart attack if they saw them on the screen. All you get now is just kind of glazed stares as, as viewers are looking for the director to take things to the next level. Uh, or the food that I eat. Every meal should look like it came out of a three Michelin star kitchen. Right? All the food network stuff, Right? I should know the farmyard and the farmer and have a personal relationship with him and all of his kids. And I should know the exact vegetable row that that roasted beet came from that I'm about to eat. I should know the name of the chicken that I'm eating and its life story so that I, I can feel good and respectful about eating this ethically, organically, morally, and spiritually raised animal, right? Otherwise, you know, meh. Right? Where's the joy? It's nowhere, because we're waiting for the next big thing that will make us say, wow. <laughs> we're waiting for the next thing that's going to make us happy and distract us from our real lives for a little while. I need to remind you of something again, because each one of us is vulnerable to the noise, to the busyness, and the seduction of our culture that constantly says that, in order to be happy, you need to purchase, you need to consume, or you need to become X, Y, or Z, whatever it might be. If we had just enough money, if I didn't have this disability, 
if I could just get that promotion at work or if we could just have that child of our own, then things would be happy. Well, whatever is on the list, none of that will bring you authentic, lasting joy. Why? Because true joy is not a feeling or a circumstance. Joy, true joy, is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus has done for us should always surprise, amaze, get us standing in awe, filled with gratitude. And if your heart says, meh, you know, to what he's done, well then, friend, you need to fall back in love with Jesus. You need to fall back in love with Jesus. You've lost some of the wonder of who he is. Jesus said in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full, complete. Whose joy is it? Whose joy is it? It's Jesus's. It's Jesus's joy. He says it's my joy. (laughs) And what does he want to do with that joy? He wants to fill us with it. How can we be filled with that joy? By staying close to Jesus and choosing to live out life the way that he's commanded and called us to. Do you see that promise in there? I realize this is easier said than done. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can walk We can live a life of joy even in the midst of suffering. I know the stories that are here, the things that some of you have walked through, despite the grief and the lives that feel like they're being torn apart, there is a river of joy that flows underneath that you tap into. That it's not about the emotion of feeling happy but it's about connecting into the deep reservoir that is Jesus Christ that actually fills us despite what we're feeling. Think for a moment. After the shepherds left the town of Bethlehem, glorifying God, it says, for everything that they had seen and they'd experienced, what do you think they did next? Scripture doesn't tell us, if you're wondering. (laughs) We don't have a BBC documentary team that followed them around and is showing it in a five-part miniseries on Netflix. No, we don't. But what's the most likely thing that they did? They went back to their sheep. Right? Because they were still in the pasture. A hard life. The life of a societal outcast. A thankless life. Their circumstances didn't likely change, but their perspective certainly did. It changed their life. That's why I love just the little hint of smile you can see in that middle one, that middle shepherd on the screen. 
They couldn't unsee what they had seen. They couldn't unlive the experience that they had just gone through together. And I suspect that even when they were suffering, wet and cold on the side of a rocky mountain, trying to warm themselves by their fire, there was still joy in their hearts. Because they'd seen the king. They'd seen the Messiah. The one who would change everything. They didn't know how, but they knew it was going to happen. And this Christmas season, how will you fight for joy? To borrow a line from John Piper. <laughs> you know, what do you mean, Aaron? You mean it won't just drop in my lap? Nope. Each of us here who follows Jesus knows from experience that the further that we get away from the Lord, the less authentic joy we have in our life and the more trouble we get into and find ourselves in. The more we draw near to Jesus on a regular basis and spend time with him, the more our joy in him is made complete because we keep seeing him and we keep seeing who he is and we keep going, wow, joy. This is true. Whether everything in our life is going well or whether it's all chaos and grief. Someone once said, I think it was John Piper, that the opposite of joy is not suffering. The opposite is actually despair in suffering. Think about that. If despair is a word over your life right now, then fighting for joy is going to be really important for you in this season. Maybe you need a Stephen minister. You'll need support. You can come and talk to Norm or I, and we can see how the church can walk alongside you through that journey. But don't stay stuck there. Don't stay stuck. Like it says in that song, there might be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. The sun will shine. The sun will rise on your day. But here's five ways to encourage you in the battle for joy. The first is this. True joy is a gift. It's a gift from God. So keep coming to your heavenly Father who is the good gift giver and keep asking for more of his joy. Did you know that you're allowed to do that? Some people think that, oh, I'll live my life, I'll do my things for God um, and maybe as a byproduct... I'll get a little bit of joy and happiness sprinkled in there, kind of like some sprinkles or icing on a cake. But it's not the real cake, right? All the, the doing and the, the, the being and the, the, all the things that I've accomplished and the things that I've done for Jesus are the cake. And then maybe, you know, I'll, I'll get a little something of sweet dashed in there every once in a while. No. Pursue your joy in him. Because he has the joy. And he wants, as you see him, he wants to pour that into you. Do you know what happens when that does? When that happens, when that transaction happens? The God of heaven is glorified. Second thing is spend time in the word. Spend time with Jesus, the word. Whether that's in prayer or reading scripture or listening, spending time. Don't neglect this. It will 
it will rob you of joy because you will get less and less and less sensitive to the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Third, even though nothing seems to be happening, be patient. Easier said than done, especially if you've been waiting a long time. God's working all things together, it says in Romans, for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He's working. Be patient. Wait on him. Keep asking him for joy. The fourth thing is walk in the light. That means confess your sin. Keep short accounts with people. Don't let offense and bitterness take root in your life. Nothing kills joy like sin and broken relationships being allowed to fester in our lives. That old Pac-Man game, right? Those little white pellets all over the board. Pac-Man just kind of going on, munch, 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 right? That is, is like sin eating joy. It just does when we allow things to fester in our lives. Get them out. Get them out into the light before the Lord. Do your part in whatever that relationship was. Maybe it won't come back together the way you want, but do your part and don't get sucked in to allowing that to fester in your life and to steal your joy. And the last one is, Ask Jesus to open your eyes to see the truth of who he is. The fight for joy is always over this area. It's seeing God for who he really is. See, the shepherds, they literally had their eyes opened to see revelation right in front of them, right? A heavenly host, an angel speaking to them, an infant lying in a manger who was destined to save not only his people, but humanity. You and I, we need our eyes opened too. Not only at the moment of our salvation, when we receive so many gifts from the Lord, but we need to see greater and deeper revelations of who Jesus is and the life that he came to provide for us. You know, like the shepherds, once that happens for us, we're never the same. Amen? And those revelations, they actually act as this concrete foundation, this faith and joy that comes into our life that we can actually stand on when the world is even crashing in around us. And once we see Jesus, whether it's literally or whether it's figuratively, it changes everything. Joy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the very source of joy. And that as we come to you, as we see you, as our spirits are made alive, as we see another aspect of who you are, your love and your grace and your fury and your might and your wondrousness, Lord, there is joy that wells up in our hearts. There's gratitude that wells up in our hearts that, that you would reach into our human existence and make a way for us to know you and be known by you. Lord, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for Emmanuel. 
Thank you for making a way for us to be reconnected back with our Heavenly Father. Thank you for adopting us and welcoming us into your family through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for each one here that this Christmas we would see, we would behold, and we would look at Jesus in fresh ways that would enliven our hearts, fill us with your joy, and our response would be glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards all people. Lord, thank you for this day, and thank you for your spirit working in and amongst us this morning. We bless the name of Jesus. Amen.